Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Deborah Gilboa. She is the founder of AskDrG.com. She is a physician and she sees families in her practice. And she realized that a lot of the questions she was getting from parents weren't medical questions, they were parenting questions. So she has a book called Get the Behavior You Want Without Being the Parent You Hate. It's fabulous. She tours around giving speeches to groups of parents and actually groups of kids as well about things like how to get what you want from adults. And she also is launching a podcast. We can't wait. Really excited to talk to Dr. G today about one of the big themes of her book and her approach to parenting, which is responsibility and instilling responsibility in teenagers and inspiring them to take the responsibility to make the world a better place and to use their skills for the greater good. So Dr. G, I can't wait. Okay, so the book is called Get the Behavior You Want Without Being the Parent You Hate. You know, I read a lot of parenting books and I really enjoyed this one. And the first thing I, of course, am wondering is what inspired you to write it? You are a, a physician, right? So at what point were you like, hey, parenting is kind of a thing and what made you then go and write the book? So I am a doctor. I'm a family doc and I see kids in my practice and grownups and usually their grownups, like their parents and their grandparents. And a couple of things happened. One is I realized that a lot of the questions that my patients and their parents were asking me were not about medicine. They were about parenting. For example, I rarely heard, doctor, do you think my child is on the right medicine for their asthma? I heard, how do I get my child to take their asthma medicine? <laughs> and, and that's a great question, and it's important. And if you don't have a strong answer to that question as a parent, then you're not going to be able to keep your kid from having an asthma exacerbation. But it's not a medical question. It's a parenting question. Yeah. And then I had this other realization, and this was a real aha moment for me in my practice. And I'm not in private practice. I'm in a federally qualified health center. And so mm. I see folks from over 100 countries. Our patients speak 61 different languages. I see all kinds of family situations. I see different cultural backgrounds, linguistic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds. One of the things I've discovered is that actually everyone struggles with parenting. Mm. And I think that is not only is it specific to the parent and the child, each relationship, but it's a relationship you're, you don't want to break up with that person ever. So you have to find ways to make it work. Right. And the stakes are high for parents because we want to be great at this. The education sure. is low. Nobody teaches you in any formal way how to do this. Right. You don't have to get any kind of certificate. Right. There's no license. To catch a fish, yes. To raise a child, <laughs> right. no. So 
So that being the case, this is hard. And sure. then I had a moment where I was seeing a patient who suffers from progressive MS, multiple sclerosis. And when I was seeing her, I'd known her for several years already as her doctor. When I was seeing her, she was already at the point where she's in a wheelchair and she's able to only reliably move her neck and her head except for breathing. So she toggles her wheelchair with a toggle by her chin to control her wheelchair. But other than that, not a lot of physical function. And I say, hey, Ms. So-and-so, how are you today? And she says, wonderful. My grandbaby just turned one and he's getting to be such a big boy and the roses by my front door are coming up and I'm going to that concert in the park on Friday. Things are great. And we had our visit. And just a few visits later that same morning, I saw a woman who's almost exactly the same age, same race, same linguistic background, same socioeconomic level, same educational level, but her medical issue is some mild occasional low back pain. And I walk in and I say, hey, Miss so-and-so, how are you? And she says, terrible. I said, what's going on? And she said, well, it's just that my family doesn't understand about my back and nobody cares and they don't want to help me and they won't make accommodations for me and things are just awful. And I said, is your pain much worse? And she said, well, no, but it could be. I went on and I helped her that day as best I might. But I kept thinking, how do I get my kids to grow up behind door number one? Right, right. What is that thing that allows someone who is facing what pretty much anyone would objectively say are difficult obstacles to feel positive and resourceful and excited about life? And a person who does not on paper seem to have very many obstacles who feels the opposite. Because I know that my kids will face obstacles. It's the only thing as a parent that I know for sure. (laughs) So if I don't help them to, to feel like I can manage this or gosh, I haven't seen this before, but I've seen other people, people in my life have faith in me. I've, I'm going to figure this out. Then I'm really letting them down. Mm -hmm. That's what caused me to dive into this work. And I discovered something that really frustrated me. And that is our society has given parents the mistaken belief that our kids' happiness at any given moment is the metric of whether or not we're a good parent. That's bogus. But it is damaging, damaging. And so if I believe that my kid's happiness is a measure of my, is the measure of my good parenting, then everything I do is geared towards their happiness. And not even kids themselves think that's a good idea beyond age five. (laughs) Right. Well, when I work with teenagers, I say, what do you want from the adults in your life? And they say empathy. They never say I want them to just make me happy. They don't think that adults can make them happy. And they're right. They occasionally think their friends can make them happy or their partner can make them happy, but they mostly don't look to other people to try and make them happy. But we have convinced ourselves as a society, and it used to just be your mother-in-law who thought that, right? Well, but are they happy? (laughs) But now I have, um, so I did a TED Talk and I included in my TED Talk a billboard that I passed on the Pennsylvania Turnpike that is a picture, a fuzzy picture in the background of a rest stop. And in the foreground of this enormous 40-foot billboard is a four-year-old holding a double scoop ice cream cone that's falling off a little bit with this big smile on his face. He's taking a big lick. And the slogan below says, tantrum averted. (laughs) And I almost crashed my car, Andy. (laughs) Because not only might that work, a whole group of millennials sat in a marketing meeting and said, this will sell our rest stop. Ah, and right, they were right. right. Yeah. Just how do I just get them to 
just be happy. Just, just stop crying. Right just now. don't just, want. Just, it's fine. Yeah. It's, what, right. what do you What do you want? What do you need? Just I'll give it to you. And that's such a strong impulse, though, right? I mean, as, yeah. a, as a parent, right? So you think that's cultural then that there's been a shift in sort of our perceptions about parenting and about what the role of a parent is that has somehow led to this climate where parents now kind of think that it's their job to make their kids happy. Right. We do. We think that this is our role and we're wrong because being uncomfortable and being happy at the same time, that's really difficult. That takes a certain level of enlightenment that I think people only get to on the rare occasion, right? But you only learn when you're uncomfortable. So I hold, and I think a lot of people agree with me once they think about it twice, that the job of parenting is to make sure that our kids are learning and growing. If they can figure out how to simultaneously be happy, that's awesome. (laughs) I definitely love it when my kids are happy. But their happiness isn't my responsibility. Listen, I have four sons, and I am usually what lawyers would call the proximal cause of their unhappiness. (laughs) I'm the one who said... You can't have that truck because you hit your brother in the head with it. Or you can't go to that party because you're not allowed to speak to someone that way. Or Mm. no, you can't go on that outing because it's too dangerous. Or you have to do this chore even though none of your friends are. So I'm usually the one who's either putting up boundaries and enforcing them or pushing my kids out of their comfort zone. That's my job. I do want them to be happy, but then I push on parents. I push on adults because this has spread beyond parents. It used to be that educators were able to successfully push back against this idea. Coaches culturally used to be able to push back against this idea and they're losing ground. And so I look at all adults who work with kids and teens themselves and I say, here's how I want you to look at that. I want you to look at it that if I don't help you to learn and grow now, when I'm not around, you won't have the skills you need to be happy. Yeah, I, lo- I think it's so important to be able to say, hey, I wouldn't feel like I was being a good parent if I didn't push you in this way, right? And I, I wonder, you mentioned chores. <laughs> oh, this is my favorite. <laughs> right, and I, I got that impression for somehow. I don't, I don't know what it was, but as I read through your book, the chapter that like stood out to me was the one on chores. And uh, I mean, you have a whole section on responsibility And even not in that section, responsibility seems like a major theme of the book as one of the kind of cornerstones of your approach is really instilling responsibility. But I wanted to talk about chores because you had some really interesting ideas about chores. And one of them was doing chores every day. So can you break that down for me a little bit? And and how do we kind of extend this stuff to the teenage years? I think that there are two ways to think about the value of doing chores. One is some interesting research that shows that when teenagers were asked two separate questions, they were asked, do you do, are you required or how many hours a week are you required to do repetitive work for the good of your household? Mm. So this isn't cleaning your, just cleaning your own room, putting your own dishes away, putting your own laundry away. It's for the good of the whole house. The greater good. Yeah. Right. So this could be anything from, you know, mucking out an entire stable to shoveling, because I'm in the middle of a snowstorm, shoveling the front walk <laughs> to to making a meal for the family or doing childcare for another kid in the family, whatever that is. And then separately, they asked these same kids 
to say of their free time, the time that they genuinely could choose what they do, how many hours a week do they choose to spend their free time at home with their family, not at home in their room doing their own thing, but at home with their family. There was a statistically significant correlation between more hours required of a teenager to do work for the family and more hours chosen for leisure time with the family, (laughs) which seems so counterintuitive to any person who's ever had to do chores. But the authors go on to suppose, and they did some qualitative interviewing as well with some of these teens to find out that they felt more needed. They felt more integral to their family because they knew that they were needed. And being needed matters to us as humans. We're a communal species. And knowing that our contribution matters, hearing our parents complain like, you were away last week and I didn't have time to do all the things that had to get done because you usually take care of those things. Mm. It's not the only reason I missed you, but gosh, I really missed you. (laughs) And that those kinds of things matter. So that's one issue. If you want your kids to want to spend more time with you, paradoxically, require more of them. (laughs) It's also like there's all that great research on longevity and simple little things like the study in a nursing home where they randomly assigned people to either have a plant that they had to take care of themselves or to have a plant that was taken care of for them by the staff. And the ones who got the plant that they had to take care of themselves uh, they live longer. They lived longer, right? Like d- there's yeah. such a human need to just feel like we're needed and like we Purposeful. have responsibility that we have to complete. And uh, uh, yeah, we're almost robbing kids of that if we don't require them to do a serious amount of chores around the house. Right. So that's the goal. That's the motivation for the adults in their lives to do them, to get them to be at home. How about the motivation to get them so that they're able to leave home? Every single thing that we want our kids to know how to do when they move out of our homes, they have to learn to do while they live with us. And Mm. then the last piece I give parents, especially parents who tend to be achievement oriented about their teenagers, because Andy, we have a myth in this country that even though we do see these rare teenagers that we feel like are capable of just astounding us, becoming Olympic athletes or starting a nonprofit or building a YouTube business that raises millions We also believe somehow that the vast majority of kids can't be expected to study for a math test and take out the garbage. Right. So because we have that belief that I have to take care of all the menial work and be your administrative assistant and your chef and your chauffeur and your maid so that you can study and get the grades that you need. Right. Focus on your extracurriculars and your captain of this team and your this and your that. First of all. If we want them to live lives of achievement, which I have to imagine those parents do, I don't know who they think is going to be doing those things for their child in perpetuity, but separate from that. Right. Like, okay, so when your kid joins the workforce, he's probably going to have to do more hours of work than he's doing now. And on top of that, take care of everything else and pay the bills. I hate to say this. I would argue that they often don't work as many hours in the workforce as they are in high school. But- Separate from that. You know, it depends on, yeah, if you consider the vast amount of extracurricular activities that kids are doing. Yeah, and the work they're doing for those. But but here's what I want to say to parents. You know, if I went in for a parent-teacher conference, my youngest child is in third grade. And if I went in for a parent-teacher conference and his teacher told me, you know, he was excelling in a particular part of math, like division. And I was like, you know, he's really got it. Every time I give him a quiz, he gets it right. I barely have to grade it. I don't have to teach him a thing. It's amazing. And I say, oh, cool. What are you going to work on next? Now, here we are in January. If that teacher said to me, oh, no, no, 
we're good. We're going to stay right here. It's easy for me. It's easy for him. I don't have to teach. He doesn't struggle. We're sticking right here. I would have a problem with that. <laughs> I want my kids working at the leading edge of their ability, sure. right? But why don't I do that at home? Zone of proximal development. Yeah. Right. I talk to parents all the time who say, when I say, what does your child do for chores? And they say, oh, she puts her laundry in the hamper and she puts her dishes in the sink. And I say, that's great. Is she four? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> And they say, oh, no, she's 14. Right. Why don't we have our kids working at the leading edge of their ability at home? Which means we're teaching them things and they're getting things wrong sometimes and they're struggling somewhat and they're uncomfortable. Well, so in order to do that, we have to be okay with letting them mess up our house, right? Right. If we're yes. And not just our house, but, you know, they, they will learn competence by getting to be good at something. Yeah. But very few people are good at something the first yeah, time. Yeah, right. Although I will tell you, and you read about it in my book, if you happen on this part, in my house, when you turn seven, you start to do the laundry for the family. Sure. And now each of my kids have had two years of doing laundry from age seven to age nine. And I can tell you that none of them have ever pinked anything or shrunk anything. <laughs> I have, but they never have. <laughs> We're here with Dr. G talking about responsibility and we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. And one of the things that really rings for most young people, no matter how old they are, especially if you're not doing it in any sort of manipulative way, you're just owning it, is to say, I have been treating you younger than you are yeah, yeah. and I apologize. <laughs> right. So here's how we're going to fix that. Could you also look at the privileges your child is asking for? Sure. Pick something that they are developmentally ready for. It goes both ways, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It's autonomy. It's the things that we have to do, and it's the things that we get to do. They're all responsibilities. When I go in and I speak to a group of high schoolers, like high school student councils will often try and bring me into their high school, and I give a... A workshop called how to get what you want from adults ah. and i start off i start off by asking what is a privilege that you're asking for currently that an adult in your life is blocking and i say it has to be legal and ethical because i'm not up here to debate marijuana laws or anything <laughs> else right so tell me something legal and ethical that you've been asking to do that an adult in your life is currently saying now and I get all kinds of stuff, you know, dye my hair, get a job, apply to the school I want to apply mm. to, um, quit this instrument. Um, one kid says, light a candle in my bedroom, right? Like, I mean, all <laughs> kinds of things. Then I let them get through. We get a laundry list. And when the tr it slows to a trickle, I say, different question. Please tell me something that you are already doing that meets the expectations of that same adult in your life. And they tell me, going to school regularly, getting decent grades, running this thing, going to youth group, babysitting for younger siblings. Right? Like They tell me a million sure. things. I, in one case recently, said to a kid who said, well, I watch my three younger siblings from three to six after school every day. Mm. And I said, wait a minute, aren't you the same kid who wants to light a candle in yeah. his room? And he said, yeah. <laughs> he said, yeah. And I said, they trust you to keep three other human beings alive 15 hours a week. And they won't let you. And he's like, right? So how much is too much, right? How much chores can we reasonably give to a teenager? And then do we pay them? Like, right? Is the allowance tied to then completing the chores and they don't get it if they don't do them? Or... 
So parents ask me a lot how to build a good work ethic. And this is a question I get from grandparents as well. And from when I work with corporations, you know, what happened to our work ethic? And there's a different societal debate about where that lands in terms of it used to be normal and now it's abnormal. I don't care. What I care about is my kids knowing what a good work ethic is. Teenagers are wired to be passionate about things. And they might be passionate about drawing or about YouTube videos or about, you know, about skateboarding. It doesn't, whatever the thing is that they're passionate about, there is a way they can use that to help someone else. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.